I am hitting record. Here is some intro music. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Armando Luna. And I'm Joan Pettit, broadcasting from our homes in Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is a show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, and transit adventures and life hacks. And today, PE teacher, advocate, and activist Sam Balto on practical urbanism and getting people moving. Hey, Armando and Aaron. Hey. Our silent, except not so silent recorder <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to be really uh, how are you speaking wait say other that again. than putting it on mute because it, my microphone is, seems like it's picking up everything like my feet and just all oh this wow stuff. that that was your feet shuffling yes <laughs> hey you guys i have some news yeah. sam is here sam is here oh Okay. Act okay. professional. All right. <laughs> pretend, pretend briefly. <laughs> oh, hey, Sam. How's it going? Good. How are you? Welcome to Sam, who is joining us to talk about all sorts of things having to do with uh, getting people moving, um, advocacy, activism, and some stuff that you can do even if you don't have a huge organization wrangling all sorts of people and resources behind you. How's it going, Sam? It's good. You know, it's Monday of virtual teaching, so just uh, we're all trying to do our best every day. Yeah, maybe you can tell folks. So you are a PE teacher and what what grades are yeah, you, so I'm a are you attempting teach- to teach remotely? Yeah, I do uh, kindergarten through second grade for phys ed and then middle school, so sixth through eighth grade. And then my co-PE teacher does uh, third through fifth in health, middle school health. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a journey. The kids, uh, I'm always amazed with uh, them showing up and, you know, being willing to try something that, uh, you know, raise your hand if you've ever learned through virtual teaching when you were in second grade. You know, none of us are going to put our hands up. So they're doing something nobody's ever done before. So I have a lot of, uh, you know, respect and patience for them. Right on. Raise your hand if if the technology, I was going to say, was the technology available when you were in second grade? (laughs) Not even. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I have this idea that it would maybe be easier with the, kindergarten through second graders rather than the middle schoolers but that might be true in the building too not just yeah i think it's uh definitely at least for phys ed um it's way easier for uh, the kindergarten through second classes versus middle school the middle school just a lot of issues of uh you know what's going on what's in the background of your screen a lot of kids not wanting to turn on their cameras which you know I can understand. I can empathize with that. So, you know, they show up in a lot of ways that really amaze me. Yeah, I know it's a, 
it's a complicated time for all of us, and I think especially kids, but being a teacher right now is, oh boy, yeah, because it's been, so when was it, March? It was basically last March, and I know schools yeah. have been open in some places, but not not here. We have not yeah, had I mean, schools open. It's this uh, interesting, you know, it's, schools have been open, the buildings have not been open. You know, we've still been teaching, uh, and children have been learning, but it's just not in a physical building. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. And actually we didn't even intend to talk about that, but uh, as a parent, it's something I think about all the time. You know, I think it, uh, it kind of, it's important for, you know, me to remember sort of like where I started in this whole journey as a phys ed teacher uh, in Washington, DC, and then uh, working for Playworks in Portland, Oregon at King Elementary and then uh, moving to Boston, getting my master's in physical education, and then teaching in Boston for three years, where uh, my sort of journey with Safe Routes to School started. Um, and I think, you know, if there's those moments that you wish you could go back and just never open, you know, read the book or sort of start questioning things, um, it would probably be right there in Boston. What do you mean? Can you say more about that and the kind of things you did there? Yeah. So it's, um, you know, as a phys ed teacher, you're trying to find, you know, encourage and engage and educate students to be physically active. You know, the goal is 60 minutes of physical activity every day. But in Boston, I saw my students once a week for, let's say, 50 minutes. And then they have recess, you know, every day for 15 minutes. So you're like, one day a week, if you were moving the whole time at recess and PE, you would get your 60 minutes at school. So it's sort of this question, how do you get those 60 minutes if you're not getting it at school? So you have to get it before and after school. And that's kind of where Safe Routes to School beautifully fits in. You know, encouraging and promoting walking and biking to school and rolling to school um, is kind of that automatic build-in a physical activity. So, you know, data shows scientists say, you know, the more physical activity you get, you live longer, you're healthier, you get, you do better in school, you have better friendships. Um, you know, it's all your, your moods are better. So there's all these benefits. And I mean, for children, if the choices are, you know, sitting on a chaotic school bus stuck in traffic in Boston or having an enjoyable walk with your peers, you know, I think that enjoyable walk with your peers or bike ride is just going to benefit children so much more. Um, yeah. Yeah. And kids just naturally want to move, right? I mean, they, you know, I think especially with younger kids, I know things get weirder when we get older and puberty is just weird, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um you know, little kids just want to move. And I think that's, you know, like, I, I think a lot of little kids would love to have an hour of PE every day in their schedule. And then, and then, I mean, and we certainly had, I mean, when we all were little, we probably had a lot more movement built into our days than kids do now in a lot of schools, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely way too much time being sedentary at school. But I think, you know, you can only promote so much, um, you know, but I, as a teacher, 
I have been really amazed at how safe routes to school is such a incredible way to encourage physical activity and also create community. Um, just really creating strong relationships with my students and families and teachers at my school who also get around, you know, being supportive in Boston. I mean, the school Ellis elementary, I miss them dearly. Uh, it's the literally the heart of the, of the city of Boston. It's you're it's like dead center in the middle, um, really special place. And we would have the most amazing walking school bus routes on walk the school days from like coming from different directions and we'd all meet at the middle at the stairs. It was, you know, it was just, those are like special moments, you know, these things that I believe the students, but also the school community, you know, is always going to remember. And, you know, it's, you're walking, you're outside, you're breathing fresh air, you're talking. Um, I don't think there's a better way to start the school day. And then the kids get to learn that you exist outside of the school building, which is something that can be shocking when you're a young child and you realize that your teachers don't only stay in the build this school building all the time. Absolutely. And then I think also, you know, teachers are building a different sense of empathy for their students, you know, getting to walk their neighborhood more, you know, not all teachers live in the exact same uh, community um, that their children live in. And so it's a nice way to sort of like, make those connections, have conversations that are not, you know, if I was to go up to, you know, any parent and say, Hey, your child's in fifth grade, but reads at a first grade level. That's a hard conversation to take as a parent. But if I'm like, Hey, I really want to support your child being able to walk or bike to school. How can I help you with that? That's totally different. And I think that's such a great, you know, entry point into building those relationships and to getting the parents and the students to be more comfortable to have those harder conversations, you know, about, you know, more academic support or whatever it may be, but, uh, you know, getting physical activity and movement sort of perfectly go hand in hand. Sam, I would um, love to hear you talk. I mean, I know that this was a big deal and a lot of people know about this, but maybe many of our listeners don't know about the crosswalk sign. And so can you yeah. talk about that? And then we can talk some more about some of the other interesting projects. Uh, the, yeah. I think you called them practical urbanism. Is that what you Tactical, call them? tactical. Tactical, tactical yes. urbanism. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, it's, I think this was the, you know, you sign up for, oh, we're going to walk to school. Everybody's going to be down for that. And then it's, you know, it's not safe. You know, parents don't feel safe letting their children walk the four blocks to school. And then you start asking, well, why isn't it safe? And then, you you know, the crosswalk here, the sidewalk here, does you know, whatever it may be. And uh, there was a crosswalk in front of our school building. And, you know, people, drivers would not stop for the students, even with a crossing guard there. So, um, with, uh, some funds through donors choose, I purchased some school crosswalk signs and within uh, a week, they had been run over multiple times. And, uh, so we partnered with, uh, previously we were working with a group, a nonprofit called, uh, walk Boston. And one of their uh, staff was like, Oh, you should put Tom Brady's face on that. And then, you know, get a photo of it, try to reach out to the globe. And, so one night I was just kind of like fed up. I was like, that's it. We're doing this. So I printed Tom Brady's face, laminated it, 
put out a tweet to a couple people, um, had sort of had a person I knew who might in the Boston Globe who might be interested in it and uh, put the tweet out and with Tom Brady's face on the crosswalk sign and before school. I, it wasn't during the school day, off of you know paid time. And uh, Boston Globe article was written that morning and then uh, my principal comes down and said, what did you do? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm in the middle of classes. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, you know, I'm teaching. And, uh, yes, yeah, every, all the news stations were calling. It ended up getting on like Associated Press, UK Daily Mail. It was like in the Philippines. I mean, it was all over. I think, uh, ESPN radio, Golic and wind, like brought up my name and putting up the Tom Brady's face. And, I think I was just pretty amazed at uh, how obsessed people are with Tom Brady. Um, you know, I, th- I knew he was big, but I didn't know he was that big. And, well, uh, and for folks who uh, are listening who may not know, because I told this story to a friend over the weekend who said, who's Tom Brady? And I'm not even a sports person. And I'm aware that yeah. he is a football player. Of I think he's about to some do fame. the 10th Super Bowl. Uh, just, uh, so yeah, he's a big deal. And, um, but uh, you know, the whole purpose of, especially, it especially attention. in Boston, right? Yeah. Especially, but, but internationally, I mean, he's, he's internationally, he's, 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 but I yeah. mean, that's the, but those yeah. are his, you know, the core of his fans. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but you know, the whole point of it was to bring attention to this crosswalk sign and just seeing the power of a tweet, you know, a photo and just like a little, you know, image really got all you know eyes on why is this teacher doing this like what's going on here and uh you know in a city like boston it's very hard to get you know city you know staff or leadership to sort of move on these improvements and sometimes you just have to you know do something that sort of shakes people out of their normal every day and be like whoa it's, you know, the teacher needs to put Tom Brady's face on the side. Like maybe something like there's a real issue here, um, which, you know, and it's also for my students. One, it just puts a smile on their face. You know, the parents are like, you know, the students are like, oh, look, it's Tom Brady. The cars slow down and they're, you know, paying more attention. Um, but I think it's also just super important to be, uh, you know, modeling that you can uh, take action and you can, you know, not everybody can go and put Tom Brady's face out, but you can use a three one one, which is what they had in Boston to, you know, report things. You can make phone calls to the city. You can write an email um, to have your voice heard. And so I think, you know, trying to model that and communicate that is uh, super important. Although I would say to our listeners who are interested in doing that, if schools are back in session in their community or there are other crosswalks that they want to call attention to, every place has a local celebrity and they may not have heard this story already. Like, I don't think this is overdone. So let's, you know, I'm yeah, not going to start rattling years. off. I think we yeah. do it again. Yeah. 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 So, you know, whoever your local celebrity, recognizable celebrity is, stick there, not not put them on the crosswalk, but get a picture of them, put it on a crosswalk and so maybe, Joan, maybe people can garner some attention. Joan, who would you put on a crosswalk? Uh in Portland? I feel like if you wanted people to stop, you could put the mayor's face on it because people would want to stop 
to like throw <laughs> eggs at it or something. I don't know. I feel like it's Damien Lillard. It's Damien Lillard. Yeah. yeah, people would respect that and not want to run it over. So. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's true because if you put the mayor's face on, people might those, see it as a target. Those they cross, might miss yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, make it life-size cutout of him with holding a stop sign. Yeah, Damien Lillard on a on a crosswalk in Portland. Yeah. yeah, or you could use you could you don't have to use a local celebrity. You could use you know a movie star or something like that. Yeah, all yeah, sorts of be. possibilities. Who yeah, who can you find? A, yeah, yeah. Get a big cutout of Joe Biden and stick his face on the crosswalk. That might be that might get yeah. some attention. Um, yeah, so that's a really great project. And I mean, I mean, I know it took a little bit of time, but like the, the amount of time that took for the level of tension it got was, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's pretty unreal, but I think, you know, it's, you don't have to do these huge elaborate things that take tons of time and these, you know, these huge, you know, problems or questions we have, you know, it's as simple as you know, you see a kid who is having a hard time crossing the street or a senior try to make that walk better, you know, try to make their walk safer and just kind of, you know, one crosswalk at a time, you know, we're chipping away at it. And I think, uh, that was sort of, uh, you know, when now, you know, I ride my bike every day to work. So I really sort of take in the whole experience of, a. Uh, you know, how I'm traveling and, you know, seeing other students and sort of thinking about, you know, what their experience is like really gets me to, uh, you know, ground me and trying to make, you know, somebody's walk a little bit safer. So Sam, one of the things that you've done here in Portland that um, I don't know if, I don't think I've heard of it before until you started doing it was the, uh, the traffic gardens. Is that what it's right? Yeah. Gardens. Yeah. Yes. And so, uh, that's really neat. You know, it reminded me while well, you talk about it, but it, I just wanted to say it reminded me of uh, um, in the communities here, a lot of communities will paint their intersections in this elaborate design. And, uh, and then you, uh, I saw you post about a traffic garden. So I thought that was really neat. Yeah. And I think that's sort of like in the same, uh, you know, category of this tactical urbanism, you know, it's sort of a call to action to do these temporary changes to sort to sort of build community to make, you know, longer term improvements. Um, so this summer or sort of the springtime with the pandemic, you know, parking lots, blacktops aren't being used. Space for children is being taken away. Parking lots, playground, I mean, not parking, playgrounds, fields, camps, rec centers, pools, you know, all these places are being taken away and closed, but we're not providing anything new for children and families to get physical activity. Um, and traffic gardens are not a new idea, but um, the city of Portland has done a ton. They've really done their safe routes to school team, I believe has painted seven of them. Metro and the Multnomah Health Commission has done a bunch but I think myself as a teacher, I sort of have a different, you know, avenue of trying to paint them and, you know, different set of connections. So started at my school and then sort of would reach out to principals and say, hey, there's a, I got a group of teachers to do it with me. And I said, hey, we want to paint this traffic garden at your school free of charge. All we ask is that you uh, promote it on your social media. 
you know, to your school community. And I mean, it's, I sort of for $50, you know, which is about the average price of the spray paints and the liner, you know, over the six that I did, you can have a better return on your investment for what it does for children, for the community, you know, just creating something when so many things are being closed, a kid just instinctively knows what to do when they see one of these traffic gardens because they can do whatever they want. It's for them. And, can you, you know, describe it a little bit more for yeah. folks who have who aren't familiar with them? So it's just a miniature street network. So it's like roads, kid size with crosswalks, stop signs, yield, traffic circles. Um, and they just get to ride around in it. I mean, it's sort of pretty amazing to sort of see how um, – you know, I, I paint them and then I leave, but sometimes I'll go back and hope, you know, there's somebody there, you know, I've seen families and kids do it as like a racetrack. So they'll bike around as fast as possible and time themselves or rollerblade. But uh, I had a student, uh, two students and their mom told me that they used it to practice their bike riding. So they feel more comfortable now riding their bike on the sidewalk to school or like when they're going somewhere where before, you know, they would, you know, only be, you know, they drive to the playground, the blacktop where they had more space and the traffic garden helped them build that confidence to work on a more narrow uh, sort of sidewalk space. And it's also, it's COVID safe. You know, you stay six feet away, you're engaging with somebody else, you're learning, you're non-verbally communicating. Um, yeah, it's, I, I want to, if I didn't have two kids, you know, and a wife, I would be painting traffic gardens throughout the whole pandemic. I'd be like, I'm that's traveling just what you would do. That's, <laughs> I no, just... serious. I would just like <laughs> take a year off, go around the country, paint traffic gardens. Um, and so I sort of started this, you know, hashtag, hashtags are very important. Uh, they call it traffic garden project. And, uh, you know, you just put out a call to action to, you know, Hey, you know, there's all this asphalt that's not being used right now. Let's create something special for kids. And it's amazing. You know, people pick it up. Uh, Boulder, Colorado, uh, there's Safe Routes to School staff there. I had painted like 13 or 14 over the summer. is unreal. Uh, Tacoma, Washington has done one or has done two. And uh, I know that there's one in Virginia. You know, so I'm, I'm really hoping you know, springtime, it, there's going to, you know, be a big push for these traffic gardens. So if and anybody, you know, needs help or um, I'm here to support, but it's super cheap. It's super fun. It's a great way to engage uh, the community and to create something for kids. And you're doing them in uh, like the playgrounds at elementary schools or middle schools or where, where are they going in? Yeah. Playground on blacktop sort of away from, um, you know, doesn't go through the basketball court or four square um, or a parking lot that's not being used. A lot of parking lots are, um, you know, closed off. And I will say some of them, I don't have permission to do it, but, um, you know, I'm willing to take the uh, consequences to do something for, uh, to do something special. So Of all this, of all the, you know, ways to, to break the law, painting, uh, some infrastructure on pavement for kids to get moving seems like, uh, yeah. And it's temporary. Yeah. You know, right. Right. It's not going to yeah. last forever. 
That's great. That yeah. must be, it must've been really satisfying to hear that family in particular say that they were using that to practice getting more comfortable yeah, you know, riding absolutely. their bikes out and about. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's really brought me to this, uh, you know, this, there's like this intersection for me of phys ed, safe routes to school, you know, getting kids active and, you know, just the pandemic has weirdly been this like moment where they all come together, tactical urbanism, you know, physical activity, walking and biking places. And, uh, something I've really been thinking about is how we really give children the scraps of our space. You know, where did you learn how to ride a bicycle? You know, it was in an unused parking lot. That's usually for, you know, people's, storing cars on the sidewalks, which is definitely not the most conducive for making mistakes or like a baseball field. I constantly see kids riding around the baseball field. I'm like, what are you, you know, like, why do we give kids the scraps of our space? Um, and we give so much space to, you know, automobiles and people driving. And I don't know. I really uh, hope that there's this movement to really give kids more space to learn and make mistakes and, you know, have that trial and error. That's not, if you make an error, you're in the street, you know, and the car's coming, like you need that, you need some extra room to sort of breathe, to allow the parents to breathe, to, you know, let you try it out and have some more freedom. So I think that's kind of what I've been chewing on a bunch recently is trying to like, how do we create more open space for children to get physical activity locally um, is really important. Uh, can you also talk a little bit about the Red Cup project? I think uh, our yeah, folks would be yeah. really interested to hear about that because this is another great one that's so simple and yet can have yeah. such a tremendous impact. Absolutely. I think like it is really, uh, I feel like I need to say before I talk about Red Cup Farms, like I'm a, like as a phys ed teacher, I spend, you know, I've spent over a decade getting children to move, you know, successfully in a designated space, you know, children of different abilities, moving, getting to choose what they want to do to be active and to do it safely and to respect each other that's infrastructure. You know, how do we get cars and buses and pedestrians and people riding bikes to move safely, but also successfully. And so also as somebody who has ADHD, I really crave spaces that are logical and make sense that help me, you know, feel more comfortable in them. So I kind of, am always looking at space differently. Um, and yeah, the red cup project was, um, a, another call to action, tactical urbanism movement. Uh, there was an activist, a safe streets activist, Dave Salavash, who was killed in Washington, DC. And, um, he was riding his bike and, um, he used to put red cups out as a form of tactical urbanism on Pennsylvania Avenue to sort of show how, and like fill them with water and show how like the taxi cabs would be making U-turns across the bike lane um, you know, he comes back, you know, 10 minutes later and all the cups are smashed with the water everywhere, you know, to show that paint is in protection. And so, um, after, and his death really hit home. He was a father, you know, I used to live in DC. I'm from the area. Um, 
So it, it really uh, shook me and I've sort of reached out to my Twitter activism community and, you know, somebody who has a lot more followers jumped on, who got people with a lot more followers to jump on. And uh, we sort of had this like Twitter group uh, communicating and it was like, a, we called it the Red Cup Project, again, hashtag, um, very important. And we, it was like, you know, just a Jonathan Fertig, um, he sort of put the call out and um, it was crazy because it was, I think it was on like May 26th was the day. And I went to bed with Australia doing the Red Cup project. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like huge. And then East Coast was doing it. Europe had done it. And then like, I'm here on the West Coast. Like, I got to go get out there and go <laughs> do it. So uh, yeah, there's a specific intersection or on Willamette and North Rosa Parks. It's sort of this turn in the road. And uh, I had sort of done that earlier, did it again. You get some news you know, to write about it. And what a surprise, a couple months later, they put out some improvements for it. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's really just, there's these simple things you can do to sort of show the deficiencies in our infrastructure system. And I cannot stress enough the power of an email, you know, as a teacher, I know what happens when, a, you know, a, a parent emails me and, you know, it, it's like that remind, Oh yeah. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I need to be doing. Um, so, you know, there's sort of this, uh, this Jewish proverb. It says like, um, you're not obligated to complete the problem, but that doesn't mean you are not obligated to have to try to, you know, work at it. Um, so it's this thing that's like, we don't have to solve everything, but that doesn't mean you don't get to try to solve it at all. Um, well, and so if, Oh, I was going to say, just to get a visual on the red cup project. So basically what you did is you took these red cups and you lined them on the outside of the bike lane, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you basically like recorded what happened. So you weren't putting them where cars are supposed to be going anyway. Yeah. You put them yeah. and then you just basically recorded what happened to those red cups, right? And those are yeah. just like the red, I don't know what we call those. Solo cups. The cups. Red, solo cups or beer cups yeah. or whatever. And if you're an environmentalist, you can do like uh, tomatoes, you know, rotten tomatoes or something. <laughs> if you don't want to smash the plastic cups, you know, you can fill them up with water if you want. But yeah, definitely there's, you know, just the image of a truck running over this, you know, plastic cup that's on the bike lane line. You know, they just aren't following at all. And you hear the crashing sound and it's like, oh yeah, paint doesn't protect us. You know, we sort oh. of think that, a stripe of paint is going to keep drivers out of the bike lane. And that's just clearly, you know, obviously not true. How long did they last the first, like how quickly was the first one down? It's like, uh, really down fast, real, right? yeah, I mean, you'd hope yeah. a couple, you, I hope to like get the line through. I mean, people do slow down initially when they see you putting them out, but then eventually they just get, uh, you know, taken out. But it is pretty amazing. I mean, it is this powerful thing. Like, you know, when you sort of go to a city leader, it's like, hey, like, this is the problem. They're like, oh, we can't do anything. And then you put the red cups out and then you see the drivers following and respecting the piece of paint. They're like, I just put, I just did this. What do you mean you can't do something? 
And then when they get smashed, you'd be like, look, they just got smashed. You got to do something. So it's kind of like goes both ways where it's, uh, you know, they just, they, you know, our municipalities are just, I feel like they're lazy and um, they just need those reminders that they need to value people riding bikes and their safety. And, you know, again, it's, there's, I would love to take my child on bike rides everywhere, but when it comes down to it, safety, you know, if I don't feel like it's safe for myself, there's no way I'm going to think that it's safe for my child to be on that. And I mean, that's a, you know, those have huge impacts. You know, if we're thinking about the 60 minutes of physical activity, you know, we're depriving X kid of physical activity at all of these moments. Um, and I think, we, you know, we think about, you know, bike riding to work or bike riding, you know, for just getting at physical activity as this like uh, high end uh, way of um, moving our bodies. But it's like, these are, this is the very functional way to live our lives. And so we need to really be uh, making it safe for people to choose to ride their bikes. Well, and, and, as you were saying, you know, when some pictures or video and you can send it to the city council, you can send it to the newspaper, you can send it to the local news station. And uh, it, you don't have to be, you can be even in bigger media markets and that'll, that can really get some attention when you have those kind of visuals. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like I sometimes have a hard time in Portland getting movement on things. But in Boston, it was much easier, um, just sort of politics. You know, I feel like uh, politicians in Boston looked at Twitter and sort of paid attention to that more, and the city did. Um, but Portland's an interesting place, but we don't need to focus on Portland. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a call to action anywhere, wherever you are, in Poughkeepsie, New York, or, you know, anywhere uh, as you know, Escondido, California or something, just let's create some safer space for children and uh, get some more physical activity in our lives. Sam, did you say you were in Portland, went to Boston and came back to Portland? Yeah. Okay. When yeah. did you come back I to was, Portland the last time? Uh, in 2018, my okay. uh, wife, we had our kid in Boston and my wife, she's from here. We met here at King elementary and, um, she was like, all right, we're having a kid. We're moving back. And I was like, no. And I was like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Um, but uh, it was actually, you know, since we're back on Boston, to go back to where it all started, the Ellis Elementary, um, it's this really special area of Roxbury and tons of schools, tons of parks, and just sort of as somebody who lived close by and would walk, sort of like seeing this space is really special and unique and I uh, really want to make it safer for uh, the community sort of just kept on pushing and pushing and chirping and trying to find different ways, creative ways. And we did a partnership with Northeastern, their civil engineering capstone. And uh, two years ago, the year after I'd left Boston, I found out that the city had applied for an infrastructure grant through MassDOT Safe Routes of School for just shy of a million dollars and was awarded it. So, uh, you know, it starts with a crosswalk and it turns into something way bigger. So 
you know, you don't have to do that. Don't expect that. It was incredibly unhealthy, the amount of work I put into that. Um, but I think, you know, the community building, the friendships, the, you know, those sort of the journey is what's, you know, what it's all about, not necessarily just the outcome. Um, and Sam, I think that one thing you and I chatted a little bit about the other day when we were talking about this is that, um, Sometimes I think as, you know, an, an individual, it, you might feel like you have to be linked up with an organization or advocacy group to be able to get something done. But yeah. um, individuals can do something. I mean, really, the limitation is what your own creativity is, really, because the things you're talking about aren't things that are tremendously expensive or tremendously time consuming and actually might be harder to do with a group or within an organization. So can you talk about that a little bit, like the difference between what maybe an organization can do and what folks can do on a smaller scale by themselves? Yeah, um, I sort of I try, you know, I'd say like, I'm friendly with all organizations. Um, you know, I was very fortunate and I won the Weston award with Oregon walks a couple years ago. And that was a really big honor. And I feel very lucky about that. Um, but you know, I, personally I'm East coast, I'm impatient. I kind of have these creative ideas and I just want to move on them. Um, and you know, so I would say it's I, 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 the way I describe it is if you've ever seen Braveheart, you know, um, you have William Wallace and his group of people, Scottish, you know, people fighting. Um, and then you have the Scottish lords and then the English king, you know, the Scottish lords and the English kings are, you know, going to the Scottish kings are going to get something from England. But when you have William Wallace and his crew causing all this chaos and like, no, we don't want to you know, compromise. We want it all. Even though they don't get it all, the Scottish Kings still get more than they would have otherwise. So I don't know. I sort of think about it as like, it's an inside outside game. Um, you know, the nonprofits have these relationships with the city. They sort of can only do so much. And it's important to sort of have these outside players um, who are pushing for things or doing things that necessarily, you know, a nonprofit or, you know, some group that's more uh, has stronger relationships with certain people in power uh, would not do. Um, so, you know, and there's definitely a huge amount of, you know, privilege and being able to do tactical urbanism, which I fully am aware of. And uh, I think it's also tactical urbanism is this really, awesome thing where you can really quickly feel empowered in your community. Um, and it's definitely, I'm, I'm working right now on figuring out how to do more tactical urbanism with my students. It's Cesar Chavez. Uh, I'm really excited. Our school was selected for the um, PSU better blocks capstone. Uh, last year, one of our students was hit walking to school a couple blocks away and, I put in an application and sort of working with the school community. And uh, we just recently found out that we are going to get to do a project with PSU Better Blocks, which is wonderful because Better Blocks is uh, sort of this all inspiring call to action, you know, 
let's do these community events to show the, you know, these shortcomings and how our cities are designed. And so I'm really excited to have the support of PSU to cre- help, help us do a community uh, tactical urbanism for this intersection led and designed by the students. Right. And, and that's, so, Oh, I was just going to say that's Portland state university and I'm yes, the yes. there doing yeah. folks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Are those, what a great opportunity. Oh, go ahead. Are those Aaron. the same people? Better blocks. Is that um, what started the better NATO? What eventually became like the permanent yeah. better NATO. And then there was one, uh, it's got to be close to five years ago now um, where they did better Broadway, which was my favorite because they built these oh, yeah. transit islands uh, mm-hmm. out of there too. That I thought that was pretty awesome. So, wow, I'm really excited to see what they do over there at Cesar Chavez. I, I know that area, yeah. you know, you got the Columbia Boulevard, you mm-hmm. know, north of you guys. And then you've got, is that Plymouth? Or Ports- Portsmouth and Fessenden, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So those are those are uh, pretty busy roads there. Yeah, that's the street that our student was hit on on uh, Portsmouth and North Willis, and um, so I think it's going to be. I'm really excited to have the students sort of really taking a part in the building of the improvements temporarily. And then hopefully that leads to, you know, real infrastructure. But, you know, from the time of the child being hit to actual cement being poured, you know, to what, you know, to, for the improvement, that could be, you know, five to 10 years. You know, that doesn't really make our uh, community feel valued. But to be able to create something as a community so soon after something happened, like a student being hit walking to school, I think will really be uh, therapeutic, but also very empowering. Can you talk a little bit, Sam, about sort of the equity and and race and socioeconomic implications of some of the kinds of things that you're working on and thinking about? Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's a journey because um, you think you're. Uh, doing the right thing. And then you're always questioning, you know, what it is you're doing, the impacts of it. And, um, you know, everything I do, I'm always child focused to the best of my ability. It's for my students. It's what I see with them and working with them and talking to the families, um, and trying to use my privilege to, you know, improve their lives and some, you know, whatever it is that we're working on. Um, and it's also this thing that it's like, I only bring stuff to the families that is going to happen or not that's going to happen, but that I feel confident we can actually move on where I don't want to, you know, talk to my family or, you know, have a meeting just to talk, you know, their time's incredibly valuable. Um, and so I don't really want to just have them take away from whatever else they could be doing just for them to talk for talking sake. You know, if, if I'm going to ask them for their opinion, first, I feel very fortunate. We've been working with the community cycling center at our school, um, William and Hannah there, and they run the safe routes to school. And I sort of partner with them. Um, we've been able to get some grants so we can pay parents 
for the meeting time that they spend with us, um, leading walking school buses. Um, and that's been really important to compensate them for their time because they're absolutely deserving of it. Um, and I think also just something, this is multiple levels of thinking, but it's this very messed up world where, you know, in Boston and Roxbury, um, you know, it's a million dollars of infrastructure improvement, which is going to make the community so much safer, which then makes the area more desirable, which then raises housing prices, which then displaces my students, which the project was intended for. So you're like, what the fuck, you know, like, what do you do? Um, and I think with PSU, with the students, I sort of brought that question to them and, you know, hopefully we can find some way that if, you know, this does turn into real infrastructure, you know, cement safety improvements, can we also find a way to find funds for, um, you know, you know, like anti-displacement groups or low-income housing grants. Um, and I'm not, you know, it's not, it's contingent on one or the other, but I feel like I would be remiss with how, you know, the amount of time and effort I put into this not to try to ask those questions and try to find solutions for that as well. Um, so, you know, you don't have to solve all the problems, but you definitely don't get to not try to solve them. Well, and, and that's one, that's a good one not to look away from, because I mean, I think so often what we see is that after a neighborhood starts gentrifying and wealthier or more white folks move in, that's a lot of times when bigger infrastructure improvements happen. But what yeah. you're talking about is how can we make sure that these infrastructure improvements don't start this or or, or sort of accelerate a gentrification process? Like how do you make yeah. sure that the thing that it stays better for that community? It doesn't then become something that's used by folks who maybe weren't, wouldn't have been interested or, or, or wouldn't have even lived there before. That's a really good, yeah. I mean, to be thinking about that kind of stuff because right, because you don't want to do all this work and then all the families have to move out because the rent goes up. Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if it is that cut and dry, you know, like there's that, you know, yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. yeah. But it, you know, in some, it's, you know, it's a, it's a reality. Safer neighborhoods are more desirable, which means higher uh, home prices. You know, it's uh, this very disgusting, you know, part of our society. And, uh, it's important that, you know, we're aware of that and we uh, work to try to change that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And I think it's great that you're thinking about that in advance. Cause each time, you know, you sort of work on one of these projects, right. You probably learn a little something else like, okay, next time here's something we might want to think about. Yeah. And I think what I've really constantly tried to remind myself is to do it with community a lot of things, you know, we start talking about is me as this like individual entity, but it, I gradually over this journey have been more and more intentional about, you know, inviting more people, waiting for people to do the work with me instead of me just doing it by myself. And I think that has made me feel better, you know, because even it's even if you get the improvement, but you do it by yourself, you're still feeling a little empty and not complete. 
that if you do it with people, no matter what the outcome is, you still have that, those relationships that you sort of have those memories and, uh, you know, new friendships, whatever it may be. Um, and I think that's really important. And I am working very hard. It's very hard from, you know, being like a fast East coaster to just, I mean, I can just do this myself. It's like, no, you're going to have more fun if you do it with people and more people will have fun doing it with you. Um, and I think that's also maybe a lesson. It's just put stuff out there. You would be amazed that people pick stuff up. People are just waiting for someone to take action and they will then come, but they're just not going to be the person to put the call out. And I, you know, I'm just really amazed by the Portland community, the Boston community, you know, whenever I've sort of put something out, I've always, people have always picked it up and uh, people have always been there to support me and my students, whether it's money or their time or, you know, all sorts of ways. It's a, I feel very fortunate to, you know, that this is, you know, I get to work with children every day and I get to try to make their lives a little more fun. And for me, it's really important that we see them, you know, we recognize them, we see them going about their day, walking in the street, you know, walking on the sidewalk to school. And, you know, we just sort of slow down a little bit and take note to that. Um, And we try to do more to make their lives a little bit better. Well, Sam, thank you. I want to make sure that folks know how to find out more about these projects and find you on social media. So you said, so it's hashtag traffic garden project. So, yeah. right. Yeah. And then uh, hashtag red cup project. Yeah. Is that right too? Yeah. And, and then, then uh, where at else? Coach Balto. At Coach Balto on Twitter. At Coach Balto on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, message me. I'm, here to support and spread the love of, uh, you know, child focused, uh, improvements to infrastructure, to making it safer for walking and biking to school or anywhere kids want to go. And, uh, yeah, this has been a real pleasure. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for all the projects that you've done. I mean, you're part of making Boston and Portland and other cities, a better place for kids and adults. So thank you a lot thank for you. that. Thanks a lot, Sam. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. yeah, it, was yeah. it was great. That was fun. Okay. My first podcast. <laughs> really? It was the first but one? But not your last. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know, hopefully not. I hope you not. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right on. We'll see how uh, it's rated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we'll make sure to tell your friends about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will. I'm a shameless promoter of myself. (laughs) Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. We appreciate that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. See you later. Good night. Bye-bye. How's your SD card doing, Aaron? We got just a little over an hour, so we're all right. Left? Yep. Talk slow. To use up? Uh, Yeah, an hour left. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what are y'all drinking tonight? Yeah. I'm having a beer. Is... I'm having a beer tonight. You're having a beer? Are you? Are you nice. What are you drinking, Armando? Uh, Silver Moon Brewing India Pale Ale. You know, is it, it says good? Couch Patrol. But of course, I want to say Cookie Patrol, oh, but I don't think that's what That doesn't meant. sound right. <laughs> <laughs> that is the, how we pronounce the name of the street. Especially because they have a, a, a picture is... of a person on a couch. Actually, it looks like they're in a recliner, but... 
So I think it is couch. I don't think it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's couch. Couch. That's one of those shibboleths. Is uh, yes. Portland's got quite a few of a few of those words that you you pronounce it. I, uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't guess so the when, correct pronunciation when people have visited me and I'm giving them directions, or if I know they're from out of town and I'm giving them directions, I say couch. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess, right, because how would they? <laughs> yeah, but then they just look stupid when they have to verify the directions with somebody else. Uh, yeah, well, they can deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> the, if I tell this is this is not, this is not interesting at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so uh, you are drinking uh, I'm drinking Couch Patrol. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, Armando's drinking Couch Patrol, which feels like a good a good beer for the time. What are you drinking, Aaron? I've got a I've got a yerba mate. I man, I was so cold on the way home. Um, I was talking about <laughs> like this your earlier. Your core was your core was warm, and everything else was I, cold. All my that? extremities were so freezing. <laughs> my legs still have yet to warm up. Like from from my knees down. Worst? Is just still cold. Do you have bar mitts on your bike? What do you I use do. for your hands? Um, I have bar mitts, and then I wear those uh, thinner showers pass gloves, like the the mm-hmm. wool waterproof ones. Um, those are pretty adequate, and my hands don't get too cold um, because of that. Uh, my arms will always get cold, but man, my legs never warmed up. Yeah, that's the kind of cold where you would need to like be in a sauna. Yeah, <laughs> so, for a while. Well, yeah, I've I used to like run right into the shower sometimes on days like today and and warm up that way. And normally I would have a, a base layer, but uh, we got kicked out of our bedroom, and, and I didn't think ahead because um, they're putting new walls in the bedroom, not for anything serious. Uh, I didn't think ahead to put on a base layer, and so I just I just have pants. And and socks. And it's a, it's it's chilly chilly time. Yeah, this is this is normally a time where I would have like another pair of pants under my pants, but not underpants. I always wear those. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. I am. Uh... <laughs> Joan, what are you drinking? <laughs> I finished my um decaf Earl Grey tea. <laughs> I uh yeah, I didn't I didn't need to go for the for the full on tea because last night there was no boat coming up the river ah. that I heard that was blaring a horn. I'm nice. I'm I'm pleased to report that I have not heard the 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 boat horn boat since that night. It's not but, over uh, but on hiatus at least. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna kick bump boat butt <laughs> <laughs> kick boat. Bump. You wanna take that take another stab at that? <laughs> well uh we're gonna not be talking anymore about boat month tonight. <laughs> but we will talk about our nationally recognized beverage sponsor, the Beer Mongers. They are the top beer bar in Oregon on Southeast Twelfth and Division. Uh, they have done a lot to support the Sprocket Podcast, and we appreciate them. Thank you, beer mongers. So that's what I wanted to say about that. The beer mongers. Did I say the name? The beer mongers. Yeah. And, and where is so that thanks again? To them. 
Southeast 12th and Division. I don't think that Brock can say the word the beer mongers without saying on Southeast 12th and Division afterwards. I can't hear I think the he- phrase the beer mongers without <laughs> at least in my head filling that in afterwards. Well, we've got some headlines. <laughs> All right. Uh, Armando, you want to grab this first one? Because I'm fired up about the second one. <laughs> From Multnomah County, help decide the future of the Burnside Bridge. January 22nd to February 21st. Um, I think they want to hear from you. The next important step to select a process. Uh, next step in the process to select a type of long span, long span bridge to build. I'm going to read that again. An important next step in the process is to select the type of long span bridge to build. The options being considered are a tiered arch, like the Fremont Bridge, a cable supported, like the Telecom Bridge, and a truss, like the Hawthorne Bridge. This also includes the type of movable movable span. Options include, I can't say that word, bascule. Bascule, there are all sorts of fancy bridge words here. And lift, like the steel bridge. Yeah, I saw a picture today. and it sort of looked like two cable-supported supports with a, a lift in the middle. It looks sort of cool. I like that one. I don't know which option that is, though. Yeah, what's cool about this is all of the, the pictures like, are there along with the, with the um, kind of bridge. So you may not know what a tide arch bridge is just by reading it, but... Uh, a picture of it is there like uh, here's an example of a tight arch bridge and and so on and so forth uh have either of you guys taken this um this survey i don't think i've taken this one no oh. i've done the the one previous to this the uh the survey previous to okay. this okay so yeah we got one. the we got the link in our notes so uh oh, good. i i'm interested in which ones you guys uh go for uh I'll tell you my uh, choice later. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, Oh, you don't want to spoil us? Yeah. Well, I don't want to like, you know, uh, 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 what is it? Unduly influenced. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So the other thing I'll say that I got more fired up about this is that there's an environmental assessment and an environmental impact statement that they're working on for this project that looks like it might close... Uh, waterfront park in the East Bank Esplanade, which are our multi-use paths right on both sides of the Willamette River in Portland. And they were looking at closing them for 18 months up to five years and with no information about detours. And those are pretty important uh, sections of our, of our, of our, uh, off-road paths here and are off car-free ways of getting around town so especially uh, for people who are not comfortable biking you know in uh, in a lot of the streets around that area um it's a pretty busy spot along the waterfront yeah, so, so i think one thing i get frustrated by is a lot of times uh you know construction will like take up all the sidewalk or all the bike lane and then cars still get their full lane yeah. 
Yeah. Sometimes they'll add in a spot for folks to walk, but then if you're somebody riding a bike, there's just nowhere for you to go. And they seem to get to do that for a long time. Yeah. And there should be better accommodations. I don't know like what the process is. I wish, I wish I could be a fly on the wall for, for some of those decisions. Uh, because I've seen many times where they close a sidewalk and they don't give you any other option of like where to go around there. Uh, I'm, there was one I'm thinking of right now where it's a overpass that they close the sidewalk over and there's only so many spots you could cross over this, this freeway that goes through the, the city. And so if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily, you know, walk all the time you may not know where your next overpass is or if you're somebody who maybe isn't has some mobility issues with with walking longer distances um or has has a device that can't get up and over curbs as easily like yeah it is something that really bugs me that the the city is known to do um that they take away these infrastructures without giving an option around it that is as safe or equal to the structure that the, the infrastructure that they took away. Yeah. Well, and something else we can be fired up about is yes. uh, this, this article from NPR. Uh, the headline is pandemic drastically cut emissions from cars. The lone exception SUVs. <laughs> Last year, as pandemic lockdowns put travel on hold, wealthy countries reduced their environmentally harmful emissions in almost every sector of their economies. There was one exception, one big road-hogging, gas-guzzling <laughs> exception. According to a recent report from International Energy Agency, carbon emissions from SUVs increased by 0.5% in 2020, even though the world's energy-related emissions overall fell by 7 percent seven percent overall and suvs increased their emissions so bad so bad we weren't even driving and somehow suvs were still cranking out that yeah do they pose do they pose any reason why that is is it that people driving su are driving suvs more because of the pandemic or is it that SUVs became yes. like less uh, energy efficient? Well, that's a good question. So they are less fuel efficient than smaller and lighter cars. They're also highly profitable and highly popular with consumers. So uh, buyer preference and manufacturer incentives has led to a huge boom in bigger vehicles and sales stayed surprisingly strong in 2020. So there was such a huge increase in the number of SUVs on the road Mm. that even though lockdowns caused the number of miles driven per vehicle on average to go down, the total consumption of oil by SUVs still went up. This is not a new trend. Emissions from SUVs have been growing for years. So uh, the, this organization says that in 2020, the decline in oil use thanks to electrical vehicles was completely canceled out by the growth in SUV sales over the same period. So... 
get on your bike, people. Leave your SUV at home. Don't buy one. <laughs> I don't know what to say anymore about that. <laughs> but I will say that uh, we have some virtual events. Is there music? Is there <laughs> Wait, the piano. Don't we have the piano? Yeah. Yes. Do you not hear it? It's like <laughs> blasting on my side. What if we were All just right. lying to you? Wait, is that new? <laughs> no, wait, the piano new? I mean, that's, how would I know? That's Guthrie I on the always, toy piano. Yeah, that's Guthrie on the toy piano. I, oh, I didn't. I, I never heard that. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll just keep playing it for so. a little bit. Yes, you have. Anytime we've talked about the winter bike lights listen really close Armando you really should listen to the podcast all the time probably Aaron doesn't turn it up though when we're recording (laughs) yeah it's too loud it's too soft I can never get it right all right well tape so use some tape there on the control board there's a a monthly event that I want to tell oh sorry go ahead go ahead There's a monthly event that I want to tell folks about, uh, and that is that uh, our podcast guest, Courtney Williams, who is also the New York City bike mayor, uh, is doing free bike education every fourth Wednesday. So this is Courtney Williams. It's at 6 p.m. Eastern on the fourth Wednesday of the month via Zoom. Uh, so she, the next, uh, there's one that'll that's happening uh That'll already have happened when this podcast is released, but she's doing these every month. Um, they're, you can register online. They're free. And uh, you can find out more on Instagram at the Brown Bike Girl, and we'll include it in the show notes, too. So that looks super cool. Also and then uh, one of Armando's and, favorite. Oh, also coming up. Yeah, one of my favorites, the 11th Annual Storytelling Event from the Street Trust, Love in Motion. This year will be virtual, so register to attend. It's going to be on Thursday, February 4th at 5.30 p.m. And it's, yeah, it's the 11th one. I usually volunteer for this. Um, uh, I've volunteered for it the last few years anyway. But it looks like they're going to have a lot of cool folks on. Uh, so it'll be interesting. And Aileen Crotty is going to be the MC, uh, the host. So if those of you that know her from Film by Bike, um, you'll get to see her too. Yeah, and here's a great chance for people who, uh, you know, don't live in Portland to see more about the kinds of things that we're up to here. So, uh, you know, we have some mail. (laughs) We got mail. Hey, we got mail. Here we go. I. I am so excited about this mail for a few reasons. <laughs> so last week, I asked folks to give me their ideas for credit card bike touring. Yes. And uh, I, I decided to not be at all ashamed or embarrassed. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I actually am ever going to do this. Well, I had all sorts of plans for bike tours. But so Jay Lico got in touch with us and let us know that his name is pronounced Lico, not the other way. I'm not going to say the way that we've been pronouncing it because I I want the right way to stick in my head. There you go. But Jay Lico, um, he and his wife, Myra, uh, they had 
um, had a tour planned for last October that they couldn't do. Um, but it was a great uh, bike trip that he told us about um, for the Great Allegheny Passage or what he what they call the Gap. So the Gap Trail runs from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Cumberland, Maryland, where it joins up with the CNO Canal towpath ending in Washington, D.C. The majority of the Gap are old railroad trails, so there are almost no cars to contend with. And he gave me this whole great itinerary of five nights, and he had to cancel this trip. Uh, but it was a great suggestion of a route to follow and places to stay along the way. So I was delighted to hear from from Jay Lico about that. So thank you for reaching out. I welcome more suggestions for places to go that are, you know, where you can go sort of from hotel to a hotel or something like that. And especially if you're not having to ride along um, really busy roads in between. So thanks. Thanks for letting us know about that. What else we got going on? Anything? Is there anything we need to discuss? <laughs> Any grievances we need to air? <laughs> no? <laughs> I feel certain Armando has some grievances and he's just trying to he's, take them all off in his head and it, just thinking, oh, no, I'm, no, it's funny I'm totally no. blanking out on everything right now. I'm like, is there something else? Is there something else? <laughs> Do I have any grievances? I don't know. Yeah. Just, just let it all out, Armando. Dishes. Having to do dishes, that's my grievance. Yeah. I don't mind doing the dishes. I'm not a fan of putting them away. Oh. Especially the silverware. Especially the silverware. Oh, that, putting them away doesn't bother me. Just the washing them does. Yeah. I'll wash your dishes if you put them away. Okay. <laughs> all right. Get you a friend next, who will put your dishes yeah. away. Next time I go to a uh, grocery outlet, I'll stop by and there do your go. dishes. <laughs> oh, yeah, you should let me know. Totally. I do need to head over that way soon. I do, too, actually, because i got to drop off this <laughs> machine over to you. But Oh, are you going to bring it over or should I pick it up? I was going to ask you that. <clears throat> Sorry. Um I feel like I should bring it over. <laughs> we should discuss that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, let's let's put all that on record. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I forgot to say that we do want more mail from folks. Yes. <laughs> and how they can reach out to us, but maybe we'll just let that roll in the credits. <laughs> Send us your mail. Send us your mail. Okay, Brock can turn that into a song there we go <laughs> that's your that's your goal for the weekend brock <laughs> <laughs> all right y'all ready for some credits ready. oh yeah okay the sprocket podcast is produced at home until we can all get that sweet sweet covid vaccine our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Yeah, call, call or text. Leave a voicemail. I want to I put some uh, voicemail on the show. 
You got to you gotta make that phone. Someone call. please leave a voicemail for Armando. 503-847-9774. Twitter and Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our patron supporters. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss. Doug Cohen-Miller, Todd Parker, Chris Smith. Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt. Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado. Drew the Welder, Anna, Andre Johnson. King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Poulton. Roy in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, E.J. Frinnerman. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skadow, Keith Hutchison. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, and Chris Barron. Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna. Hey, that's me. Matthew <laughs> Rooks. Marshall, Paula at Funatake Cycle Craft. Philip M. Spartandale, no relation. Mr. T, who never really left. Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D., Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M., David Christensen, 503. Byron Patterson, Kirsten Graham, Aaron G., Rachel Moline. And welcome back to our newest and returning donor, Jimmy Diesel. And all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now wash your hands. And wear your mask. Nice. Yeah, we did it. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when we read the credits. I always want to make comments or ask questions that I've always had about the credits or the people. Do it. Wait, what do you mean? Like during the credits or like? Yeah, yeah. right during while we're reading them. He wants to know about the people. Well, maybe we can. You should do that as as you're reading the credits. (laughs) I know. That's why I I always want to do that. Because I don't, Maybe I sometime don't think of it we should until I read the credits. Start <laughs> with the credits and ask the questions at Ooh, the yeah, beginning of the idea. show. I like that. Yeah. 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 Who's on right. next week? We should do that next week. Uh, oh. <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> we'll, 